Welcome to About Empathy, a podcast that focuses on patient, caregiver, and healthcare providers' experiences with serious illness. I'm Dr. Irene Ying. I'm Dr. Dori Sekaracha. And I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani. We are physicians working in palliative care and psychosocial oncology at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto. Our clinical experiences have taught us that there is great wisdom to be learned from the stories of the people we care for and work with every single day. This podcast gives voice to the patient and caregiver experience and what these stories can teach all of us. In today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Daphna Grossman. Dr. Grossman is a palliative care physician at North York General Hospital. We're speaking with Daphna today about how she came to work in the palliative care field, the joys and challenges of this work, and the impact that being a witness to suffering can have on healthcare providers. We also speak with Daphna about what she wants the public and other healthcare providers to know about palliative care. Daphna is the co-lead for the Supportive Care Program at North York General Hospital, which integrates a palliative approach into the care of patients with non-malignant, life-limiting illness. Daphna is very involved in undergraduate and postgraduate medical teaching. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto. On a more personal note, Daphna lives in Toronto with her husband and two children. She loves to travel and continues to try her best to keep up with her book club reading list. Daphna, thanks so much for coming today. Thanks so much for inviting me. We wanted to hear a little bit about your path to working in palliative care. How did you get here? Well, it was definitely not a straight route. I started off as a family physician, and then I was working in small towns in Ontario when I realized that I wasn't comfortable in the emergency department, so I did an extra year of emergency training. And I still remember the person that got me into palliative care. It was a gentleman who had metastatic cancer, and unfortunately, the paramedics had come to the eMERGE department with him straight into the resuscitation room and we were all working on trying to resuscitate him and of course he died in the resuscitation room and I remember sitting with the family and explaining to them what happened and thinking this poor man died alone in a resuscitation room where he should have died surrounded by his family and I played a role in his not comfortable death and at that point as I was sitting talking to the family I realized this isn't what I wanted to do. So at that time, Dr. Larry Liebrach was the head of palliative care here in Toronto. There was no residency program then. And I called him up and I introduced myself and I asked him if he would mentor me. And he arranged a mentorship program for me, in fact, here at Sunnybrook. And that's how I began my journey in palliative care. That's so interesting because it makes me think a little bit about Dory because Dory went from working in emergency rooms to, to doing palliative care. And the other thing that it makes me think of is mentors and people who got us where we are. And for you, it was Larry Liebrach. And for me, it was Dory. And that's how I got to, to wow. come into palliative care because if it wasn't for her, I would have never gotten here. Um, so it's so interesting that patient experiences and the mentorship experiences that get us where so we are. So important. Right. Yes. And, and it's true, right? Even when you think about your school years, you know, subjects that you may have loved had a lot to do with the teachers, That's right? True. That you had. And, and what is it that drives you to keep doing this work? I find this work so meaningful. Every day I come to work and I think to myself, this is such wonderful work to be doing, to be with people, to really be with them, to learn about them, to hear about their stories, to see if you can help them understand, you know, the journey that they're going to be taking in this medical health system. 
that they find themselves in. Even if it's the ability to alleviate even a small amount of suffering, that is so important. And the truth of the matter is, and is that I have been on that other side, right? I have had my own experiences with illness and have been in a hospital bed a few more times than I would have wanted to be. And I remember what a difference it made when one of the healthcare providers showed some kindness and compassion, and it made a whole world of difference. And I just hope that every day I can return that to the people that I help take care of every day. Thanks for sharing that, Daphne. I didn't, I didn't realize mm-hmm. that, that you had had those experiences as well, and that it makes you a better doctor. I hope what so. what it sounds like. Yeah. You know, I, I know what it's like to lie in that blue gown, mm. right? And almost being stripped of any dignity with people having to take care of you, and you kind of are so embarrassed. And all it takes is just a little bit of kindness, mm. right? Kindness and empathy. Mm-hmm. And then you can cope. And mm. it's that simple. I think that's why I do this work as well. And I'm, I'm sure Irene and Dory feel the same way. The flip side of doing this work is the, the impact it can have on the healthcare providers in terms of the intensity of the work and sort of the emotional strain that it might have. Is that something that, that you feel like you have to deal with or manage in your career? Absolutely. And in fact, I would say there's two sides to the coin of that impact. There is the impact that makes you appreciate life mm. and makes you just so thankful mm-hmm. every day. And where you learn from people's courage and you try to integrate that in mm-hmm. your own life. And then, of course, there's that impact where you're exhausted and you're emotionally drained mm-hmm. and the effect that has on you. And what I learned a few years ago um, when I decided to go from full-time work in palliative care to part-time work in palliative care, was my younger daughter said to me, you know, mom, you're a lot calmer now. And I realized that I didn't realize the impact it had on me. Mm. And I think that's part of the problem is that it's, you don't often realize the effect that it's having on you. And having someone pointed out to you so that you stop and think to yourself, I need to do something about this. I didn't realize that this was affecting me is so important. How old was your daughter when she, she mentioned that to you? She was 14. She was 14, so young. And it was really one of those eureka mm. moments. Mm. It's another one of those events that changed the way I do things, mm. where all of a sudden I realized that I need to take better care of myself mm-hmm. and I wasn't doing a good enough job. And what I do now, actually, is I check in with my family and I say, you know, let me know when you are seeing those signs, because I know I need to stop and Mm. take a breath. Mm. Because if it's affecting you, it's Mm. for sure affecting me, and it must be affecting my colleagues, and definitely it's affecting the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But it's very hard to have that insight sometimes. Mm. That's such a great message for young listeners, I think. All of us need to be doing that. And those were very wonderful words for you to share with us and for young people to know who are in healthcare medicine, like medicine, nursing, any healthcare field, that importance of well-being Mm -hmm. and checking in with Mm -hmm. yourself. And Mm -hmm. you don't always notice the impact until it might be 
you're suffering. But what sorts of mm. things do you do then? Like recognizing it is one thing, but how do you cope with it? How do you mitigate it? So I am fortunate enough that the hospital I work at sits on a beautiful ravine. And every day I take a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and I go outside and I sit on a bench that is beside a little... I think it's like a little creek or, mm-hmm. or a little pond, actually, and just stop. That whole process takes about 10 minutes. And giving yourself those 10 minutes to just stop and breathe is so important. I wake up a little bit earlier now and just sit in quiet, just going out for walks. And these are all little things, right? I keep hoping to do bigger things. Mm. I always say I am going to go to the gym. which I have to say I never do, (laughs) but the intention is there. So I'm not sure if that counts. Mm -hmm. I, you know, would love to be one of those people that goes to yoga regularly and goes for jogs regularly, but I am really proof of the concept of inertia that an object (laughs) that is at rest stays at rest. (laughs) And so I have to recognize that about myself and then really you're not i don't think anyone would describe you at rest no i know (laughs) anyone who knows you (laughs) but but really that i'm gonna now walk out that door and go for a jog it's not something that i tend to do because i there's laundry and there's dishes in the sink and there's you know things to do so i think allowing yourself the little stuff you know i find doing the little stuff it's like going to costco You buy a bunch of little stuff, but you don't leave with less than $500. (laughs) So I think that recognizing that even just the little stuff makes a huge difference. And it sounds like it's finding those things that are authentic for you and work for you and work for your life. There's this concern that, well, if I'm going to check all the boxes of my wellness, it includes these five items or these five exercises or these five practices. But that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. So you found (laughs) what works for you in your life. And I just like to say that, you know, we talk a lot about mindfulness Mm. and it's important, but I just want to say for people out there, there are people that it's very difficult for and it doesn't work. Honestly, it is so hard for me to get the chatter out of my head. (laughs) So I am one of those people. And as much as I try, it is very difficult for me. So I have to do it in a way that works for me. So I think that's what this is about is finding something that just allows you to take a breath. Mm -hmm. And I think that point you said you check in with your family and say, how am I doing? If we had that sort of habit Mm -hmm. to check in with one another, the days are busy, obviously, in the hospital or clinics. But just us having this conversation and making people aware of Mm -hmm. it and then maybe finding a way and having a group to, I don't know, de-stress with or just talk about what it's like. Mm -hmm. I think those are steps forward. Uh, And certainly nothing we talked about when I went through uh, medical school or as a young physician. Absolutely. And it really comes back to just that simple concept of kindness. It's just be kind. To yourself. And to others. To others. And to each other. Because if you start with that, everything will come from that, Mm -hmm. right? And we have such a a blind spot, I think. Once you get into a, a routine and a pattern and a way of doing things, you have a blind spot for how it's impacting you day to day. So it's checking in with yourself. And if you have that sounding board of others who can check in with you, that that's so helpful. Mm -hmm. Although I would Mm -hmm. say just 
as a cautionary note, I think oftentimes when we're frustrated at work, one of the things we do is we turn to our colleagues, which is great Mm -hmm. to talk about things, to vent Mm -hmm. on occasion. And I find that very helpful for myself. But I've also seen that for me, it can be a little bit detrimental because it becomes a bit of this echo chamber where everyone's sort of bouncing Mm -hmm. off each other and you don't really have that external viewpoint you don't really have that objectivity. So for me, I love talking to my colleagues. I have such a great bunch of colleagues, but sometimes I have to check in with myself and say like, should I be going outside of this group, getting some other opinions? Mm. Because maybe that would be helpful to to make sure like I'm not Mm. missing something in what's going on or how I'm Mm. coping with something. I find that we in medicine tend to be fairly task oriented or fix it Mm -hmm. oriented. And so I find that often when we're sharing issues, it becomes about, well, have you tried this or have you tried this approach or have you tried that Mm -hmm. approach? And we talk a lot about in palliative care about bearing witness, right? And, And not being able to fix things, but just being able to sit with a person. And we do that or we try to do that with our patients. But I find that that's not necessarily what we do for each other mm. because it's really more about, well, have you tried this or have you tried that? And, and that's not really what we're looking for, right? We just want to just sit and tell our story. Yeah, it's true. I think sometimes with our colleagues, that can sometimes be challenging because they want to make it better and they know where you're coming from because they're in the same clinical practice mm-hmm. as you are. But you so, just want to be listened to, just, just like when you're dealing with your to. patients. Yes. And, and that brings us back to that challenge in palliative care mm-hmm. is that we can't fix things. Mm-hmm. We may be able to alleviate physical symptoms, but when it comes to psychological or spiritual or suffering, mm-hmm best we can do is be there, be kind, listen. But we are so trained to identify the problem, fix the problem, and then assess how the fixing went. Mm. That shifting that thought into more of a just sitting and not just, I use the word just, but it's not just, is sitting and listening Mm. and being with a person. Mm. That is so therapeutic. Mm. You know, Daphne, we end every podcast with this idea of if only they knew. So it sounds like maybe for healthcare providers, that's something you would hope that they would know is that there are times where it's just about your presence and, and about healing and not necessarily fixing. Is there anything else about palliative care that you wish healthcare providers knew about or the public knew about? So for the public, the important thing, to I think, to know about palliative care is it's not about end of life or care mm. or dying care. It's about helping with suffering along a journey with a life-limiting illness. And people think about cancer as a life-limiting illness, but heart disease is life-limiting and lung disease is life-limiting and dementia. There are, are many diseases that are life-limiting that cause significant symptoms and in palliative care, Our goal is to help alleviate and help with that journey. So it's not only about dying. Mm. And for healthcare providers, it goes back to the concept of kindness. Be kind to each other. It is a very stressful job to do. And if we support each other and wish for the best for each other, it builds such a wonderful community and it makes us healthy and it enhances our work and it's good for the people we look after. That's great advice. Thank you, Daphne. Thank you so much. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to About Empathy.
About Empathy is recorded at Wellspring. Wellspring Cancer Support Foundation is a network of community-based support centers offering professionally-led programs and services to help people living with cancer and those who care for them overcome the many emotional, social, practical, informational, physical, and functional challenges that typically follow a diagnosis. No referral is necessary, and Wellspring programs are offered free of charge. Visit wellspring.ca to find a center location near you. About Empathy is made possible through education, research, and scholarship grant funding from Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Sunnybrook is committed to patient engagement and care. By partnering with Sunnybrook, we hope that this podcast embeds patient and family experiences in all teaching and learning. To learn more about the education initiatives of Sunnybrook, visit sunnybrook.ca. Welcome back to About Empathy and today's episode about palliative care. Dory and Irene, let's chat a little bit about our conversation with Daphna. I think the first thing I wanted to talk about was this idea of her her family making note of how much calmer she was after she went from full-time work in palliative care to part-time work. What did you think about that? When she was speaking, she mentioned that her daughter said, you're so much more relaxed or yes, calmer. calmer, yeah. Calmer, and uh, I think she made the excellent point that we don't always... <laughs> pay attention to ourselves mm-hmm. a lot and you know out of the mouth of babes right our kids often mm-hmm. notice things and I think it's just such a worthy point that I mean not all of us can go from full-time to part-time but the idea of maybe there is more time for yourself and you pay more attention mm-hmm. to yourself and the idea of checking in with people around you the people who love you and you have to self-check in, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It made me think about how burnout is such a, a pervasive yeah. issue in healthcare. Yes. It made me think about not just palliative care, because there's a high rate of burnout amongst palliative care physicians, but amongst general healthcare practitioners. And it, it just made me think about how big a problem it is to surmount. And just so, I mean, we hear the term burnout all the yeah. time, but maybe we can review a little bit, like what are the typical signs or symptoms that might make somebody think that they're burning out from their job? Because my sense was that, you know, it's not just in healthcare, but in any job, really, if you've got a lot of stressors, you're going to be more apt to burning out, which I've viewed as being like sort of detaching yourself a bit more from your work, not enjoying your work as Mm -hmm. much, not finding fulfillment in it. Mm -hmm. But like, are there other aspects to it as well that we should be on the lookout for? I think exhaustion is part of it as well. Mm -hmm. It's like a physical and mental exhaustion. I also think that depersonalization or or that detachment from my understanding of it is a big part of burnout, which I think is a real risk in healthcare because of the impacts that it has on the patients that we care for. Right. Yeah. The other big question is how do we deal with that? I mean, we talked a little bit about Daphna going out with her coffee to the Mm -hmm. ravine. But interestingly, with burnout, it's not so much the things you do on a day-to-day basis, but it's more things systematically have to change, Mm -hmm. like needing more resources at work. So you're Mm -hmm. not the one doing everything, seeing like 20 patients a day. Maybe you need more support. What I think that Daphna was speaking more to, and you had asked her about it, like how do you deal with listening to these stories and sitting with patients as they're struggling is that idea of compassion fatigue, where day after day, you are bearing witness to people Mm -hmm. suffering. That can take a toll 
on you as well. And I wonder if that's like one of the factors that contribute to burnout, but the compassion fatigue is what might respond a little bit better to the mindfulness, meditation, taking quiet moments to just decompress. What do you guys think about that? I think that's true, like checking in with yourself, taking your internal barometer, like what am I feeling right now? Acknowledging that, you know, you had a really busy day and that that story you heard really touched close to home and allowing yourself just a moment to process that, you know, and and I think just trying to be calm. I mean, there's so many things that might help different people, but some people like journaling, some people, you know, are are skilled at meditation. Mm -hmm. I think some people will just try to connect with something that they value, like nature and go for a walk, Mm -hmm. just taking those deep breaths. Some people like to go to the gym. Some people like to go to the gym. (laughs) Being mindful that we can get overwhelmed, that this work Mm -hmm. is difficult, and being kind to ourselves. I mean, she used that word over and over again in many ways, Mm -hmm. to be kind to our patients, to be kind to one another, our colleagues and our teams, be kind to yourself. It is about baby steps, and I know nobody has a lot of time, but taking a moment, you can sit at your desk, take 10 deep breaths, Just try to clear your mind, try to be honest with yourself, how you're coping today. Is this a difficult day? Is there someone you check in with when you go home? You know, how are you going to talk to your significant other? You know, just all those kind of things. I think when you actually think about it and try to have a plan around it, what happens many times I worry is that we don't even think about it, right? We just go day after day and there are things that build up and I think when you're really overwhelmed, you do tend to withdraw and detach and depersonalize. And none of us want that. But it's a bit of a vicious cycle, I think, that if you do that, then you feel worse. And then you do that more to try and cope. And I I think you want to head that off at the pass. And it affects Mm -hmm. our personal and professional lives. Mm -hmm. This is not, again, something I remember speaking about, you know, back in the 80s when I went to medical school. But I think now people are more aware, and I think talking about it does make a difference. I I think that's a good point, and it speaks to what Irene, I think, was saying earlier, is I think sometimes it's put on the healthcare providers for them to be resilient, for them to take on the strategies for their own well-being. That makes sense. We all have to take ownership for ourselves. But I think you can ignore the systemic issues, which are issues around resources and the number of patients we're seeing in the environments that we're working in. And I think you kind of have to address both Both. for it to be effective because we can't just make it about, well, you need to focus on your own well-being. Absolutely. We have to take care of ourselves. But I think there's sometimes issues that are bigger than us yeah. that are hard to, to tackle. And to have the energy to advocate for change in the more systemic issues, you have to feel well enough and energized enough. Both are so important, but for sure, if we don't take care of ourselves, we just won't be able mm-hmm. to try and help the system, right? Or work with people to change the system. It's kind of like what we tell all our people caregivers, isn't it, when they're trying to take care of a dying loved one, or just a loved one who's even starting the journey. If you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of your loved one. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like if so the put system the oxygen mask on you first, put, put the, exactly, and take yeah, yeah. physician heal thyself. Yeah. 
well, it's not meant just for physicians, but I think, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah heal thyself. But you're right, they're both important because if we're all really healthy and the system keeps being overwhelmed right. and, and there aren't changes, then yeah, that's not sustainable either. No, it has no, to absolutely. go together. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and is there strategies you've taken on to try and deal with that with burnout or compassion fatigue or stress? You know, for me, I think an overarching thing has been this idea of gratitude. And Daphna brought it up where part of the job, the nice side of the coin with our job is it gives us a real perspective on life Hmm. and being grateful for what we have. So I have to say, I think almost every day I thank whatever the powers that be for my family and what I have and, you know, how lucky I was to be raised by the parents that I have. And it's easy to take those things for granted. But I think when you stop and you're grateful for those things, it makes it a lot easier for me to go in and do my job. I tend to walk to work and walk home and I do that on purpose. It just helps me to de-escalate before I get to work and I'm anxious about getting the day going and mm-hmm. doing a good job. And then before I get home to my family, I just have a chance to process. Mm-hmm. What I loved about what Daphne mentioned was the little things and being kind. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I forget, you know, I'll walk to work and I'll listen to something and there are a lot of people Uh, in the morning that I don't even look at. And sometimes I'll challenge myself, you have to smile and say good morning to 10 people. And it always fascinates me how they're almost surprised, but then smile back and seem happy that you did that. And it's like, why don't I do that all the time? Why do I have to keep reminding myself? You know, I think we live in a big city, you're surrounded by people, but you forget. And everybody's got, you know, their headphones their, their yeah. headphones yeah. on and so just reaching reaching out little yeah. things like yeah. a smile or oh I like your hat or what mm-hmm. a gorgeous baby like yeah. and you just see them like oh and they smile yeah. and you think I should do that more yeah. often it's a little moment of it's connection the little things a little kindness yeah. and mm-hmm. it makes you feel better yeah. too right to see someone mm-hmm. react positively what I think about is I've had my own moments where in my work I felt, you know, burnt out and overwhelmed and it's been difficult. And part of that burnout for me was the idea that I wasn't really helping anyone. I wasn't doing anyone any good. I wasn't helping my patients. I wasn't helping my family. I was, I found, I perceived myself as ineffective. And so that took a lot of mental work to get past that. And one tiny little thing I do is I keep thank you cards from patients and families. I keep them and I will sometimes look at them and read them. And it's almost like a little reminder. No, you are doing something that's helpful and good. And it's a bit of antidote to the burnout. I see a link between mentorship and burnout as well, because it seems to me like if you have someone that you trust, a mentor that you can go to, if you've recognized that you're struggling, that that would be a help. What do you think, Dory? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I've had mentors, and you were so kind to mention our relationship. And I think whether you're the mentee or the mentor, there is that conversation happening. And when I would go to people for help, or when somebody ever came to me for help, I got benefit out of it both ways. Because I think you're discussing the challenge and you're working together on how to how to solve that and you share experiences. I know I've always found that helpful in my career, whether I was in more 
the mentee role or the mentor yeah. role. Okay. And, I, and I think about it because I think in medical training, we're often connected with mentors, like, like a yep. formal mentorship relationship. But then once your training finishes, you don't necessarily yeah. continue that. And I feel like it's something that you could benefit from no matter no matter yeah. when, even after you're done training. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a formal thing because there are just some people that you click with and you connect yeah. with. And those people are part of your support yeah. network. Yes. And I think we always think about mentors as being like having one mentor or two mentors and they're all encompassing when really I find it more helpful when you have multiple mentors and each one has sort of a facet of their life that is their strength and you go to them for that. Is it if it's their clinical knowledge, I go to this person. If it's more about sort of academic Mm -hmm. researchy stuff here and then maybe someone more about for finding work life balance Mm -hmm. and avoiding compassion fatigue. I think I'm just very lucky that I have a family to go home to. You know, we live in pretty privileged world here and go home and have someone who will listen to you if you had a bad day or you have food on the table, you have a comfortable bed to go to. So your idea of gratitude and reminding ourselves is very important. Thanks for listening to this episode of About Empathy. We hope the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic interactions. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Subscribe to About Empathy to get a new episode each week. We would love if you could rate and review our podcast, and please tell your health professional, your colleagues, and your friends about our show. You can visit our website, aboutempathy.com, for more information and to read the show notes from today's episode. You can also be part of our research project. We're conducting a short three-minute anonymous survey to inform us on the content you get out of each episode. Visit our website, aboutempathy.com, and click on the Take Survey button in the top right corner. About Empathy is a Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Sekaraccia, and Irene Yang. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner, with additional production and writing by Laura Takahashi. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner. The podcast is recorded on-site at Wellspring and funded by an education research and scholarship grant through Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Visit us at aboutempathy.com.